Mother's Day back in the States. Uh, and so uh, uh, I know you celebrated yours a, a month or so ago, but uh, uh, my wife Cheryl, the, uh, we have uh, celebrated a little bit more than 47 years as uh, life partners in marriage together, and uh, three grown sons and six grandchildren. And uh, so uh, I take this opportunity just to celebrate her Mother's Day here, although she's you know, across the pond here. Uh, Cheryl is one of, uh, not only doing the manual repair, she's been a licensed professional counselor for about 40 years and one of our preaching pastors at the church and um, involved in our overseas work and uh, has done for a number of years been leading uh, women's conferences both in the U.S. and uh, in East Africa. So uh, she's been just uh, wonderful to be partnered with in ministry for all of these years. I think we, we first met at, at in, a, in an English class when we were 15. So we have, uh, so we're actually quite young. Yes. Um, I'm going to take you to a passage today that you perhaps have never heard a Sunday message from, uh, and I never have. Uh, but uh, uh, I think it really does have some real value for us today. Um, one, an American author who I admire, Micah Iaconelli. Uh, described the kind of the counterintuitive way the, uh, of thinking of most of us are, are t do not want to face hardship. And Cheryl and I were talking about looking forward to uh, uh, being in a situation where we hope today we have no drama in our lives. And said, let this be just you know a drama-free day, no hardship, no no difficulties, because our natural inclination is we want more of those days. But we don't always get them, as we know. And the, the, what, what is counterintuitive, according to Iaconelli, is that uh, it's not that we want to look for suffering, he says, but if it should find us, there is a truth that life's hardships, if we're able to accept them, often contain unexpected gifts. And failure, disappointment, loss, and other difficult experiences call us to accept our humanity, to feel grateful for what has been given, to receive the care of others, to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. Iaconelli writes, the more I accept difficulty as a natural part of the spiritual life, the more I find myself available to the deep gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of compassion, trust, gratitude, humility, wonder, and joy. So I want to speak a few moments from a a very interesting story from the life of King David about uh, finding grace in an unexpected place. And particularly, uh, I want to focus on uh, any of us who might find ourselves dealing with difficult people and how to find uh, 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 grace uh, in dealing with a difficult person in your life. And I'm sure that it won't take you very long to dial up a particular situation or relationship where... Uh, uh, the, a person presents a real challenge to you. Uh, they are your hardship, as, the, as it were. Um, our church is in Evanston, Illinois, the home of, one, of a major university, Northwestern University, and one of its more well-known graduates is a, a, uh, uh, an actor and a comedian and currently the host of the most popular late-night show on American television. Uh, Stephen Colbert is his name. And uh, he graduated from... Uh, the uh, University in Evanston, Northwestern, where my wife was a graduate. He graduated in 1986, and then he later on went on to 
become a part of a very famous group called the Second City Comedy Troupe. And many of them went on to be a part of a, one of our ongoing uh, weekly comedy shows, the Saturday Night Live. Uh, what most people don't know is that he was the youngest of 11 children in a devout Catholic family. And uh, when he was 10, his father and two of his brothers were tragically killed in an airplane crash. And then in his own personal life, he had a failed surgical procedure that left him deaf in his right ear. And then all the rest of the children left the home, and he was there with his mother, who was a grieving mother, having lost her husband and two of her children. And through all of his preteen and adolescent years, he was kind of her companion in her grief and uh, in great difficulty, in times of hardship as a single mother. Uh, though they had deep faith, she was a very difficult person to be with as she processed the grief and what had happened to her family. And uh, on more than one occasion, I've heard uh, uh, Stephen Colbert talk about those times, and I find one statement that he has made incredibly revealing and intriguing now that he is a father and uh, on in his own life. He says simply this, I now love the thing that I w most wish had not happened. I now love the thing that I most wish had not happened, a hardship or a difficulty, and particularly these difficult years with his mother. He now has a different perspective on it, of what it, how it shaped him, what qualities it brought to his life that would not have happened had he not gone through them. And perhaps you already can think of some situation in your life. And I ask you this morning, you know, who are the difficult people who have been in your life or presently in your life? Perhaps a family member, a parent, a sibling, present, your present spouse or an in-law, or perhaps someone you work for, your boss or someone you work with, a coworker, or perhaps it's one of your children, or an ex-spouse or ex-partner. Maybe it's someone that you go to a small group with every week. Maybe it's a person sitting next to you this morning. Some of you may work in uh, the area of customer service. Customer service, by its very nature, means that you are daily working with difficult people who are coming to you not in a happy state of mind and because they're not happy with something about the, the way that your company is operating. Uh, other people who find this a regular challenge, people working in, life, uh, in, in, uh, in law enforcement. In our country, we seem to have a lot of difficulty uh, in recent years uh, with uh, uh, the experience of aircraft travel being not as pleasant as it used to be, with much higher security and much more congested planes, that uh, uh, the people who really can struggle with, with working with difficult people are uh, flight attendants and people involved in the whole security process. So we can be, uh, your job security and your peace of mind will depend on how you deal with difficult people. So I want to take hope this morning from an amazing story that takes place uh, 3,000 years ago. Uh, this one woman's story in the life of David takes almost a whole chapter uh, in, the, in 1 Samuel. Uh, and uh, 
Her name is Abigail. I don't know if there's any Abigails here this morning, but she's the namesake of all Abigails from, from well, forever. And a true biblical heroine whose compelling story is a model of wise and godly behavior for both women and men in every century. And the summary of her story, which we will read in a moment, is that she was married to a fool. Not the first person to have done that. In fact, uh, his nickname was Nabal, which is the Hebrew word for fool. Uh, not many of us know what it's like to be connected to a self-destructive relative who does things that can make the whole family miserable and in this situation even put them in danger. And so uh, I suppose the subtitle to this is How to Live with the Fools in Your Life. She encountered not only a foolish husband, but then a second very difficult person, the king of the realm, who was very unhappy with her husband, who was an incredibly powerful man and, in fact, a vengeful man who was intent on bringing harm to her and her household. A difficult person who had tremendous power over her. And we often can find ourselves that the person we have difficulty with, part of the issue is they have so much power over us and we are powerless sometimes uh, to, uh, uh, to change them. And so we must figure out how we're going to respond. So let me quickly read to you the story. If you have a Bible, we're, we're, it's in the, the book of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. I'm going to quickly read the chapter and then just look to see what it tells us about the qualities of the character of Abigail that me, we might want to pray for for ourselves if perchance we have some difficult people around us. It's an amazing story. Chapter uh, 1 Samuel and uh, the, the uh, uh, I'm reading from the New International Version but anyways, there was a certain man in, in Mowen who had property there at Carmel. He was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. Uh, he was a Calebite. And I don't know if that was true of other Calebites, but the author introduced tells us that detail. Now, David was in the wilderness, and he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and, sent, and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time, and when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. In fact, the whole time they were here at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So ask your servants, and they will tell you. So therefore, based on how well we treated you, you know, and your men, uh, be favorable toward my men, since we've come at a festive time. So please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So that's David's uh, uh, request. Uh, I, well, I think I've misprinted. It's not chapter 2. Thank you very much. 25, 2 through 42. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, so, 
when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and they waited. And Nabal, as we heard before, a fairly surly man, he answered David's servants, Who is this David? What is, who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I've slaughtered for my shares and give it to men coming from who knows where? Not the most welcome reception. So David's men turned tail. They turned around. They went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word that David had said to his men. And he spoke to them. He said, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. And about 400 men went up with David. Well, 200 stayed with the supplies. And so you have an armed force now approaching Nabal. So one of the servants comes to Abigail, Nabal's wife. He says, you know, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give them our master his greetings. But he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And he repeats the whole story again. You know, the whole time they were out in the fields, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over, Abigail, and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and the whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. And so she's put in this incredible predicament. David, with 400 armed men, is coming to bring revenge. And her foolish husband has got not a clue what to do. She acted quickly, says the scripture. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of oppressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So as she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there, was, there were David and his men descending toward her from the other side, and she met them. And David had just said this. It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his is missing, and he's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with me, David, be it ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. You've really got David's anger up here. So when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. This is such a dramatic story that I've even seen a beautiful painting of Peter Paul Rubens depicting this. There's so much drama in this. And, and so she gets to the ground. She gets down before him and she puts her face all the way down the ground. You see this in the Rubens painting. And she fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for, as for me, your servant, I did not see the men the Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed so far and from avenging yourself with your hands, May your enemies and all who intend on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And now let this gift, which your servant, which she had brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. 
And please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a long and lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will ever be found as long as you live. For even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely as she continues to prophesy over him. She says, your life will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from a pocket of a sling. And so, and when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he's promised concerning him and the appointed and has appointed him as ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. I'm just going to spare you a great consequence, Lord, if you can uh, not kill all of my husband and his men. And when the Lord your God has brought the, my Lord's success, remember your servant. Well, there's a change of mind now. David says to Abigail, Oh, praise to the Lord God of Israel who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel is, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not so come so quickly to meet me, there would have not been one male belonging to Nabal would have been alive at daybreak. So he accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your rewards and granted your request. Now comes the dramatic conclusion of the story, the unexpected uh, 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 end here is when Abigail went back to Nabal, he was holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits, and I guess probably not unusual, he was very drunk. So she decided, I'm not going to tell him anything tonight. She waited until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. All that had transpired. His heart failed him, and he became like a stone. And then Ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And then when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with such contempt. He has kept me, his servant, from doing wrong, and he's brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then the final end of the story, David then sends word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. The servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent to us, sent us to you to, to take you to become his wife. And she bowed down her face to the ground and said, I am your servant. I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. She got on a donkey attended by her five female servants and went with David's messengers and became his wife. What a narrative from the beginning to the end of tragedy coming on her house because of the foolishness of her husband. And then she ends up as David's wife chapter. If you're looking here, it's not hard to see what special qualities she had, and ones that I would like to pray for for myself, uh, that she demonstrates in, the, in, the in this story. The very first one, when she gets the terrible news, she demonstrates incredible dependency upon God and God's protection and provision. When she gets the servants come and tell the news, and she looks to the Lord, she asks for wisdom. She was dependent upon that most dependable God. She had a deep sense that God would give her a way to escape what would look like an impossible predicament. She trusted. She leaned into God 
and he guided her out of this impending disaster. She did not dissolve into panic or anger, but she immediately trusted God for what is truly an inspired solution to this mess. And when we find disaster coming on us with the the fools that we might be connected with in our life, the first thing is to do what she did. Lean into God. Okay, I depend on you. You have a way for me out of this. Grant me the wisdom that I might respond in a way that shows I, I have no power here unless you give me guidance and wisdom. So that dependency is the first thing. Quickly, the, the second thing, which is very profound here, she has a great capacity for empathy to understand and share the feelings of another. And uh, she totally understands uh, David's feelings and how he could be so offended. And she, she's very quick to be aware of what you have done here is going to cause us terrible things. And uh, uh, she was horrified how, how mean and stingy her husband was. And she could fully imagine why David would take offense and respond. So that's why she quickly responded. So the capacity to show empathy to understand the feelings, how other people are reacting in a situation is such an important quality for us. Uh, As I mentioned uh, uh, earlier, we we have uh, five of our grandchildren are are between the ages of four and one. So it's it's, it's an amazing time when they're all together. And I'm always amazed at how they attune to each other. And when one of them is sad, the others comfort each other in a... uh, and uh, I was with uh, uh, my one, one, the one-year-old grandson not long ago. And uh, I was holding my arms. We were, we were playing. And, and uh, uh, it was strange. I, I think I was having a little bit of an allergy or something like that. And as we're, as we're playing, all of a sudden, uh, unexpectedly, a tear came down from my eye. It wasn't because of what I was feeling or anything else. It was a kind of natural biological reaction. But when he saw the tear come down from my eye, he reached up his hand and put his hand on my cheek and said, Papa, he was feeling I must be in pain. I must be suffering. And in his little one-year-old heart, he was feeling empathy for his grandfather. And it was such a lesson to me of the power of empathy to see what another person is going through and responding to it, as Abigail did. We have so many situations where people are lacking empathy get themselves in such trouble. We've had a number of incidents back in the States uh, in air travel where uh, uh, people in charge of uh, boarding process and things like that lose patience, and they end up doing something abrupt and impulsive and and, and, and getting and, 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 and kicking people off the plane or having law enforcement remove people from the plane, and, and then the airline gets in all this you know, public relations disaster. We had one of these last year. I thought this was interesting. The American Airlines spokesman, after one of these disasters, said it had involved a mis- a poor treatment of a mother and two infants who were traveling all the way from South America to the U.S. And they says, we apologize because our consumer service rules were totally violated because our values are that we always demonstrate empathy and patience. How important that is if we're going to deal with fools around us. Just let me give you a, a few more of the character traits I see in her. Uh, obviously, and the third one is she has a capacity for generosity, she's, she's, she, which includes a desire for others to experience God's favor. When she sees that her husband has been miserly 
and stingy and, and refuses to respond to David's request for food and, 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 and uh, uh, provisions for his men. She quickly gathers from her household all these things and sends them ahead. She's being incredibly generous. Despite the fact that she was married to a miserly fool, she maintained her godly character, especially incredible generosity. She was patient and deliberate in choosing, uh, excuse me, uh, she didn't want David to be robbed of his destiny and the amazing things that God had in store for him. She spared him this disastrous consequence of taking vengeance on himself, by himself, and she just demonstrated that generosity is always the right choice. It puts us and others in the place of receiving God's pleasure and favor because it so much reflects God's generous character. Her generosity towards David helped turn the tide there. Uh, I also will note her, her spiritual perceptivity. Even She recognized, as we read in the passage, that David was the anointed one, that God had purposes in David's life that even though he was being pursued, he said, she says, the, lo uh, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies will be hurled away. She had this prophetic sense, recognizing that God is working in David, and, and then she wanted to, to uh, lean into that and, and bless God's work in David's heart. For us, when we're dealing with a difficult person, trying to pray to understand what could be the source of their pain? What is the hurt? And imagine, how might God want to comfort or bring hope or healing and, and what he might do with their lives? She was. Fifthly, I'm struck by her in humility. Tragedy's coming, but she's very humble with her servants. She comes to them and, and, and demonstrates a real humility towards them. And then when she comes to David, she takes on a, a very humble posture towards him. Despite that she is known in this passage for wealth and, and beauty, she was approachable, humble, and willing to listen. She was willing to kneel and humbly place herself before David, as well as to be very humble with her, with her own servants. <coughs> Excuse me. The last the capability and, and that she demonstrates there is a real gift for impulse control. Not getting panicked in the situation. She was patient. She was deliberate in choosing the timing of when to talk to her husband. She says, man, he's drunk right now. May not be the best time for a good conversation. Go wait till the morning, you know. That, that patience and, 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 and uh, impulse control. Each encounter that you and I have with another human being carries the possibility of changing how we experience the world. She begins this chapter 25 struggling in a miserable marriage to a fool, and she ends the chapter as the wife of the future king with God's favor being lavished upon her. I pray that God would give you and I Abigail's grace to deal with the difficult people around us, the grace to face our own disappointments and losses, our own griefs. Uh, I'll finish with one uh, true story of a, of a married couple. And they had signed up for a retreat. It was supposed to be a silent retreat. And uh, 
nobody really knew what was going on with this couple, but the, they were having a hard time keeping the silent retreat. And, and, and they were very distracting to all the other retreatants. Uh, and in fact, uh, during the testimony of one of the uh, other people at the retreat, he, he, you know, he even under his breath called, who are these idiots? You know, we're all supposed to be very quiet and meditative, and, and they keep interrupting and, and disturbing us. So uh, one of the times, there was a time of guided meditation. And while they were guided meditation, the, the, the woman be stands up and begins to dance around the room. And she does all these uh, 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 very distracting uh, uh, movements while everybody else is trying to be focused. And here she is just flighting around the room and spinning and, and doing all these uh, uh, athletic uh, dances. And it was everybody else was trying to be silent. They're very being very disturbed. And then on top of that, her husband, while everyone's supposed to be quiet, starts chuckling to himself. And he starts laughing. He can't hold it down. And he's going, hmm, hmm. And he's having this interaction with God, but he can't keep it quiet at this silent retreat. Well, at the end of the retreat, uh, some people were just so disturbed they had to leave the room. This couple was just... So dis dis distracting, and one of the one of the participants said, "I wanted to go and choke this guy." <laughs> I want to say, "Okay, chuckles, let's hear you laugh now." <laughs> Sometimes you, I wonder in our church, why are there so many annoying people here? <laughs> I've had the temptation to want to grab a chuckles, and, and I've had a few people say, "What? What? What's going on with them?" And not knowing you tend to be impulsive and reacting in a way because you don't know the story. Well, the, a few months later, after the retreat, the, some of the retreatants learned that the reason this couple was at this retreat was that they had lost a child that year. And they had gone to the retreat for a very needed time of trying to deal with their grief in hopes that God would meet them there. And he did. And it was in the time of silent meditation that the Spirit of God came on this woman and gave her freedom and joy and relief, and she could not sit silently anymore. And she began flowing through the room and dancing. And her husband could not remain silent anymore. He was chuckling. And, and the, he would later ask, well, why were you laughing during our time of silent prayer? He says, because in my silence... I was closing my eyes and I could see my son. And I could remember the things, the times that we laughed together. And I started laughing and it helped me feel that somehow he's okay. Their irritating behavior took on a whole different understanding when you had empathy and understanding and you didn't react impulsively to saying, having the grace for that irritating person. What must be going on behind this irritating behavior? Lord, I ask right now for each of us with the difficulty of people around us that you would pour give us grace to demonstrate some of these uh, Abigail's qualities, that we would be leaning into you for our dependency to find a, a solution to this situation, and that you would give us these uh, additional qualities of perceptivity and empathy, all th these other ways that we could graciously deal with the irritating and difficult people that 
In our flesh, we'd like to choke. But we have no idea of what you're doing in their lives. Give us the grace to do that kind of control. Amen. If you want to suggest a prayer response, or uh, there's a lot of people who might have uh, some difficult person that uh, you would like to have God to work in your heart for. So perhaps uh, that, that might be one direction to go.